This week I headed to Tucson to sit down with the media coordinator uh, with No More Deaths to talk about the, the current Scott Warren trial that's happening in Tucson in a few months. Uh, I want to mention that this episode is a bit different in that I'm not interviewing someone who necessarily has anything that they are releasing in terms of a book or uh, playing a show in Bisbee or anything like that, but uh, this year Bisbee Live will be more probably about more Borderland issues and possibly more serious episodes like this. And I do want to also remind everyone that uh, I am not affiliated with any uh, media institution or anything. This is an independently uh, run and owned uh, podcast. So we are going to get into some stances that uh, No More Deaths takes on um, border issues, including humanitarian aid. And of course, we're going to talk about the Scott Warren trial. Uh, I will add some some notes after after the interview, but uh, if you want to have a discussion about this, if you feel that uh, there are some views that are not being uh, presented in this podcast, please feel free to reach out, bisbeelive at gmail.com. Also go to bisbeelive.com. There, uh, there is an area to leave some comments uh, so we can have an open discussion about this issue and make sure that everyone's voices are heard. Uh, so she's going to give some information if you are interested on, uh, in helping the organization to, uh, ahead of this trial to kind of, uh, kind of raise awareness and uh, really, they're trying to mobilize people to, to uh, head to Tucson uh, for a number of reasons. And she will talk about the details of that. Uh, head over to nomoredeaths.org to find out more information right now. And here is my interview with the media coordinator of No More Deaths. Thank you for sitting down with me, by the way. Oh, thank you for having me. Uh, we're, in, uh, we're in Tucson right now. Is this the main headquarters of No More Deaths? Yeah, we have an office here um, in South Tucson, and a few other of our working groups, like the KTT Legal Clinic, have their own spot. Um, but yes, our um, kind of staff operations happen out of Tucson. Okay. Um, so I'd like to start with the history of the organization. Uh, mm. How long has it been around, and, and did it start here in Tucson? Yeah, so No More Deaths was founded in 2004. Um, it came out of the sanctuary movement uh, that began in the late 80s, um, and that was centered in, in Tucson and in the southern borderlands. Uh, Reverend John Fife from Southside Presbyterian was one of the founders of the sanctuary movement and then moved into building a coalition that eventually became No More Deaths. Um, so we've been out and doing this work since 2004. Um, we are, yeah, it was started in Tucson, um, but of course our work now has spread across the state and there are other groups that have sprung up that do similar work, which is wonderful as well, um, attempting to address the crisis of death and disappearance in the U.S. borderlands. Can you talk about mainly what uh, No More Deaths has done for uh, um, the borderlands here and uh, southern Arizona? Sure. So, and, and this is true of, of several other groups like the ones you mentioned, um, groups that sprung up in response to the crisis along the border. Um, which is a crisis of death and disappearance primarily fueled um, by U.S. immigration policy, right? So people who are borderland residents 
Tucson natives, people from this area who understand that it's a common occurrence to have someone knocking on your back door asking for help, for water, for food, um, understood that as the numbers, uh, bodies in the borderlands rose, right, that there were more and more deaths and disappearances, that something needed to be done. Um, and to that end, No More Deaths is perhaps best known for doing desert aid work, putting water and food into active migration corridors. Right. Um, but we do also have several other working groups that I think are quite important. We have um, a group that works out of Nogales, helping with check um, caching, which I can talk about in a little bit. Um, we have a legal clinic that helps folks who are dealing with possible deportation for family members that are facing deportation, DACA cases, that kind of thing. Uh, we have a search and rescue group that works with a, uh, staffing a migrant hotline, which is for both family members of people who might be missing or for people themselves to call and initiate a search and rescue or a search and recovery if need be. Um, and we're currently running a legal campaign, a legal defense campaign, um, which I'm sure we'll also talk about in a little bit. Uh, so we have a group dedicated to kind of helping spread the word about Scott Warren's charges and what's going on right. yeah. ahead of this trial that's happening again in November, so. Yes, and we'll definitely talk about that this part of the reason why I'm down here. Um, to get back to the desert aid work, maybe we can just be more specific, because um, there, there are a lot of folks um, who, if, if they're not from Arizona or if they haven't experienced what it's like to be down here uh, in the desert, it's, it, I think it's hard to realize um, just how hot it can mm -hmm. get. Yes. And, and also just some of the issues, that people who want to cross the border, um, what they're facing and what they might not even realize. So um, would, we, would you agree that No More Deaths is trying to help these people um, to obviously stay alive in the desert? Um, and but has that sparked? Well, of course it has. Can you talk about the controversy that that's caused? Sure. I mean, the supplies that we leave in the desert are truly they're for anyone, right? We don't believe that anybody should die in the desert, the desert region. Um, crossing is not a death sentence; it should not be. Um, we have water supplies that are able to be utilized, like I said, by anybody who comes across them. But it is true that primarily our, our supplies are utilized by those who are crossing the border on foot. Um, because it's not our job uh, to demand paperwork or documents from an individual in exchange for, for basic yeah. kindness. Um, and, and honestly, most of the time, we our supplies are left at a drop site. We don't tend to engage or interact with people. Um, we just have to try and track to see if the supplies are being used um, and how. Uh, you may have seen last year, right after Scott, was, in fact, the video came out the same day Scott was arrested. Um, we have trail cams that were set up at some of our drop sites that showed Border Patrol agents um, slashing water gallons, uh, dumping out our supplies. Um, so we're able to tell <laughs> when a gallon jug has been slashed open versus opened and drunk from um, how our supplies are being utilized and by whom. Um, but to that end, yeah, I mean, it, it, is, it is wild to us as a group that someone could face legal prosecution for attempting to prevent death. Quite okay. simply, that's, that's, that's right. the core. <laughs> and that's what's happening to Scott Warren right now. Yes. Um, I'd, like to, I'd like to talk more about that footage. I have seen that footage. I wasn't sure where it came from. So those are um, trail cams that No More Deaths has set up themselves. Yes, so okay. what that video was, it was part of our disappeared report. Um, so we actually, that's another working group we have is abuse documentation. And what they work to do is to um, collect the stories and data uh, necessary to 
kind of communicate to the public some of the abuses that are happening um, okay. by the U.S. government, whether by Border Patrol or through the policy of prevention through deterrence, which we'll also probably get into in a little bit. Um, so that was part of our Disappeared Report series, and it was about the systemic um, problems within Border Patrol policy that lead to death and disappearance. And so as part of that, we were monitoring our own drop sites to see who was engaging with them and how. Um, and unfortunately, what we found was seven years worth of footage. <laughs> it is, it represents seven years from 2010 to 2017 of interference by uniformed agents, which is, is highly distressing. And in response to that, Border Patrol said, that is not our policy. We have you know, fired the individuals in question. Ah, I was going to ask you, what's the legality of that, of disrupting this aid that, that's, like you said, is for anybody who sure. might, maybe just a hiker from Bisbee. Sh sure, Right, sure. who forgot to bring enough water. Right. Uh, yes. Yes, um, so as far as legal re recourse goes, that was in, in their corner of how they wanted to deal with their agents, um, and, and that was their kind of public statement that that is something we don't condone. Um, but we can say that we continue to find gallons that are slashed. We don't know by whom. Um, we don't continue with the trail cam footage right now. Okay. Um, you know, that was a kind of a, its own project that took some time to set up. But, um, yeah, I was, I was on a water drop myself personally just a few weeks ago. And when you come across the gallons that you're going to replace and kind of fix, it's very disheartening to see that they've been cut open or dumped out. Right. Um, right. We don't know by whom, which is that that is it's important to say it could be agents. It could be non-governmental actors, uh, individuals that are upset with with immigration. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it's difficult to pin down, but very disheartening. Um, and yes, to see that kind of carry over into the legal sphere with Scott and what's happening with actual, you know, criminal prosecution. Right. Somebody was trying to help. Right. Um, the footage that you had, though, um, and so you had documented evidence of the slashing, was that all done by the Border Patrol? Or were there other, like, rogue groups or whatever who... So the footage that we worked with and, and, and combed through, that was primarily border agents. Um, <clears throat> you know, we have certainly had interactions with, say, militia groups before, um, but we tend to keep the focus on the, the actions of Border Patrol because they are funded with our tax dollars. They yeah, are representing yeah. the U.S. government and their policies, so we want to hold people accountable to right. that kind of behavior. Right, right. Okay. Um, and are there any other efforts other than the, the aid drops um, that No More Deaths does to make sure that people don't die in the desert? Sure. Well, when uh, we go on hikes to replenish our drop sites, so we have some 200 drop sites throughout southern Arizona, um, and, and we replace gallons and check on them um, at different intervals depending on how difficult they are to get to. Some of them might take a day <laughs> to drive to and hike yeah. to. Um, some are much closer. Some are utilized more often than others just based on you know, how often we check and can see that the beans have been eaten and the water has been drunk and that kind of yeah, thing yeah. as opposed to slashed or, or tampered with by animals, which definitely happens as well. Right. Um, so to that end, going out and into the desert, um, sometimes we do encounter people in distress and we usually have a medical person on our team hiking out on each drop, if at all possible. Um, so our medical professionals will ask if someone needs a medical evaluation, try to figure out what they might need from us. Sometimes individuals want us to call Border Patrol, perhaps, you know, sometimes people want to be connected 
with with border patrol agents they might want to turn themselves mm. in they might want to yeah. stop walking which is we just operate on consent and what the individual wants and communicates their needs um, to be so helping people into the field definitely happens um, but beyond that uh, the other working groups that we have try to target this problem of death and disappearance from different angles than desert aid does okay and if you if they are undocumented citizens if you offer let's say a certain amount of help uh, or do certain actions that can count against you as in uh, the case that's happening right now Scott Warren that we'll talk about in a bit well so. yes yeah, so with people being undocumented their status what we really want to emphasize is is what's so frightening about Scott's case is what the implications could be okay so if you host a barbecue in your neighborhood and an undocumented neighbor comes by, are you now liable for having harbored them <laughs> you right. know, by giving them right. food and sharing water? What, what's, what's the legal recourse for you? And do you have to question someone's immigration status to engage with them in, in the way that most individuals want to be engaged with? Friendly conversation, food, water, right. kindness, <laughs> right? So this criminalization of basic kindness, it's a real... It's a real fear, and I think that's at the heart of what's happening with Scott. Okay, well, we might as well just talk about the case then. I, I have some other things I'd, I'd love to talk about. Um, sure. Uh, but since we're, we're walking around it, let's get to it. So Dr. Scott Warren, um, does he live down in Ajo? Yes, he does. Okay. He's a resident of Ajo. And is he, he what is his, um, in, in terms of No More Deaths, like what is his role, or how is he involved with the organization? Yeah, so No More Deaths is a horizontal organization. We don't have a typical um, hierarchy like some other orgs might, so everybody that works with us is a volunteer of, of equal status and stature. Um, but Dr. Warren is a long-term volunteer who's been doing this work for a long time. He's also involved with the Ajo Samaritans, um, people helping people. There are different groups um, in the borderlands that he also spends his time working with, and a lot of our work overlaps. That's the nature of it. Um, but, but overall, he's committed to ending death and suffering and being a alert borderlands resident. And for him, that means being aware of how many people have lost their lives in the place that he calls home and figuring out what he can do to counter that. Okay, and so what is the incident um, that happens that caused, uh, well, him to go to trial? Yeah, so there is a private residence in Ajo known as The Barn. Um, it's utilized by several humanitarian aid groups to hold supplies and have a common meeting spot um, for, for us to work out of as needed. Um, so Scott was coming back into The Barn he had been out getting supplies for preparing for a visit from school children who were coming to visit and see um, the humanitarian aid station and, and see what it is that we do in the desert. This was 2018? This was yes, 2018, January okay. of 2018. <clears throat> I had to orient myself there for a <laughs> second. Um, when he got into the barn, he found that there were two undocumented men uh, in the barn who were seeking food and water and asked if he could help. He said, you are free to come and go as you wish. He gave food, he gave water, he gave clean clothes. He said, there are beds here. Again, you can come and go as you see fit. 
Um, that, that took place over the course of several days, and uh, Border Patrol arrived on the third day and arrested all three of them. Okay, the two undocumented people and Scott, and Scott Warren. Yes, and Scott was initially charged with both harboring and conspiracy to harbor. Um, that first trial that ended, which we'll of course get into the timeline of that as well, um, ended in a hung jury. So for this retrial, uh, the prosecution has dropped the conspiracy charge and he is being charged now with, uh, I don't want to say just <laughs> because they're very serious charges, but just the two counts of harboring for the individuals. Okay, um, so yeah, I guess I don't know really much about what happens when there's a hung jury. That means not everyone made it, came to the uh, same decision, at the, the jury members, right? Correct, uh, so yes, uh, well, um, I guess as, as a point of explanation, so in this case it was eight to four. Um, okay. Eight people said that Scott okay. was not guilty, four people said that he was. Okay, and then um, when that happens and that has to go to trial again, is it common for the charges to be adjusted? Is that like, are they looking to change something to try to avoid another hung jury? That's certainly a possibility. It's hard to say. I'm not a legal professional, right. so I don't want to speculate. <laughs> um, it's true that it was also in the prosecution's court. Um, so when there is a hung jury, in that sense, it was on the government um, to decide whether or not they wanted to charge him again. And okay. we think it's very telling that they did, that they're pursuing this case <laughs> and they want to want to see Scott in prison, and that's that's terrifying. Okay, and and part of the reason why I came do down here to Tucson, um, I say down because we were talking earlier, right. higher elevation in Bisbee, but <laughs> I headed north to Tucson uh, to talk to you about um, the case because you are trying to kind of mobilize people, um, and before we talk about the volunteer program that you uh, no more no more deaths is planning to do, um, is there any other details that you can tell my listeners about what happened um, to kind of give them a whole, you know, viewpoint. Like, is it all, does it ultimately come down to the fact that he let these people stay there um, and, like you said, of their own volition, just to seek shelter and, pot and food and water? Mm -hmm. Was there anything else to it? Because it's kind of hard to kind of wrap my head around, you know. It is, it is. And, and that's something that we've heard from folks nationwide. Uh, yeah. As this trial has kind of gotten more coverage, it's very common to get letters in my inbox that are, seriously, yeah. <laughs> is yeah. this it? Um, and quite frankly, yes. Um, he wasn't know, trying to like, th that's, okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. so that, the situation is, um, <clears throat> Scott is in many ways, I mean, they're making an example that, of humanitarian aid workers. I was going to say that because he, he's kind of like a face of, well, like you said, several um, um, you know, activist groups. Sure. So let's say some average Joe who lives at the border and and did the same thing, who's not in the spotlight. This probably would not be happening. Well, and to, to something person. something we've gotten uh, some commentary we have gotten from folks, borderland residents, who are so vocal and are so um, so experienced in this. Like I said, the idea that many people have had the experience of someone knocking on their door and asking if they can have water, right. um, are worried. They've asked, well, what does this mean? Does yeah. this mean I can't do this? Yeah. Does this mean I shouldn't do this? Which, I mean, that's a moral quandary, I think, more than anything. Um, you know, that the fact that we're facing these legal charges, but your conscience is telling you, I want to give someone help if they need it. Yeah. Um, so yes, with Scott, um, this was the first time we faced these types of charges. And I think prosecuting aid workers is one part of a, 
a large puzzle um, that's aiming to, I mean, it, it's, it's a movement against undocumented people. The people yeah. that are suffering the most are those who are without papers and are crossing still. Yeah. Um, even if what's happening to Scott is, is scary, he's still a U.S. citizen, he has that status. Um, so this is, we feel, yeah, an example is, um, they're, they're trying to make an example. We're not sure <laughs> where yeah. that's going to go. And we don't uh, know the ramifications of it yet. And, not yet. Um, this, this has become such a big trial. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mentioned to you in our emails um, that I have students. I, I, I teach English, and I have students all over the world, and I've had a student in Poland mention the Scott right. Warren case. Right. And, and so um, how is this affecting no more deaths? You mentioned you're getting more emails. Um, or what do you think is going to happen and could any good come out of all this media attention? We are fortunate that, um, so this is a common question we've gotten, um, you know, has, for example, your volunteer program slowed down at all? Are people more afraid to come out and join you? And no, fortunately, well, that fortunately, the answer is, is, is no. Uh, okay. We've gotten 50% more applications <clears throat> okay. since Scott's been arrested. And of course, in our volunteer training, we are keeping folks up to date about the status of his trial and what that means. But uh, people want to do this work, and we are so fortunate that we've gotten really an overwhelmingly positive response of solidarity from people all across America, all across the globe. As you've mentioned, we are bathing in international <laughs> attention at the moment because people also are drawing clear parallels between the work happening here, that in the Mediterranean. There are a lot of migrants traveling mm. right now mm. by boat. Um, there's actually a sea captain uh, you might have seen who's, who's being charged with a similar type of like a harboring statute okay. um, for, <clears throat> for literally picking individuals up out of the ocean who are drowning and taking them to safety. Um, so this is a, it's an interesting moment, I think. Um, it's, in, it's, it's interesting to think what history will think of us, <laughs> you yeah. know, 50 years forward. I feel um, like this could be a landmark case. It really right, could. Right, right. Um, and like I said before, I mean, I, I found articles from Al Jazeera, CNN, mm-hmm. and so like everybody's covering this right now. Um, and obviously my listener coverage is not the same, but... Um, <laughs> Well, I have a couple questions for you. If anybody wants to do their own research about the case and all the details, do you have any suggestions on where they could go? Yes, definitely. Um, The Intercept has done wonderful coverage of Scott's case. Uh, The reporter is Ryan Devereaux, um, and he's been with us since the beginning, uh, physically coming to Tucson, sitting through every motion, hearing, and and trial appearance, um, and really getting to know Scott as well as a person. Um, So... uh, He's written a series, you know, of wonderful articles um, that I think really break everything down in a really easy to digest way. Um, I'm not a legal expert, and there are times where I felt like Ryan's articles have been a blessing for me as a staff person getting to really break down, all right, what does the judge mean when this happened? You know, what is he saying and and what is the prosecution doing? Um, So that makes the legal side of this, I think, very accessible. But as far as the work we do overall, definitely checking out our website. And we also link on our site um, other groups doing work like this that might not get as much attention as we're getting. And that's something we're very cognizant of, that we do this work and it is important, but we are in solidarity with so many other Borderlands residents and border groups um, that are not necessarily getting the 
boon and volunteer applications or donations, et cetera, that we're getting as a result of this case. So okay. um, we always encourage folks to, to look up Border Angels in San Diego and Colibri Center for Human Rights. There's a lot of different groups that, that are mentioned on the site that I think it's helpful for people to get a full picture. Um, and they can see that by seeing the network of solidarity across the borderlands. Okay, and you said that that reporter who's doing some some great coverage, Intercept. The Intercept, yes, okay. and that's a web. It's a website, um, web magazine. Okay, <laughs> not quite sure what you would call that, but yeah. And if people go on uh, the No More Deaths website, which they could just, um, well, what's the website? NoMoreDeaths.org. <laughs> that's easy enough, right? Yeah. Um, so there's a big mobilization. Um, volunteer program that you're trying to do for, is it September and November? September, October, and November. September, October, and November. And it sounds big, and it sounds like you're trying to get people from all over the place, not just Southern Arizona. So let's talk about that. Yeah, so this is modeled after our Desert Aid program, which is its own volunteer application and process. And, and that's for folks who want to join us in the desert. Um, and that's something, a program we've been running for many years. In fact, that's how, <laughs> that's how we get to do our Desert Aid work. So that's its own application. And that's folks, you know, nationwide, also okay. internationally, um, come and commit to a month in the desert. Um, but what we're doing now, what you're speaking about, um, is a new thing. Um, and this is a program being run through the legal defense campaign um, to get folks mobilized to do door knocking and event hosting and getting out and talking to community members ahead of this next trial. So kind of doing more of a a legal defense campaign um, than you would see from, say, the desert aid work. Um, so new for us, um, but it's a great way for locals to plug in. And we're hoping to host events. For example, we're hoping to host one in Bisbee. We don't have a date for that yet, but a chance for locals to come out, meet humanitarian aid workers, get to know us by our faces, talk to us about the issues that we're working on. And yeah, it's, it's more than anything putting a human face on the work that we do. Um, ahead of this next trial. Um, we just want as many people as possible to understand what's going on uh, before we are back in that courtroom. Okay, and um, can we talk about the expectations of the volunteers that come? Uh, how many uh, hours per week are you expecting? Yeah, um, so this is each program, the dates kind of overlap. So for someone applying, they'll be able to see when they get into the application that they can mark their availability. But we do ask for a two-week consecutive commitment. People can do more, um, or they could do you know two weeks in September and two weeks in November. But uh, basically, it's a full-time two-week <laughs> stint. Um, we provide transportation. We provide housing and food um we just we just want you to come and do the work <laughs> with that's, us well that's what i was hoping you would say yeah. um so there, housing transportation mm -hmm. food will be provided yes so someone could come in any anywhere around the world and fly into tucson and uh, you, you, you would uh, or someone from the organization would pick them up from the yeah. um the airport <laughs> we would yeah okay. um we we can't cover like international flight costs right, right now. Obviously, right, we do right. um, ask people to talk to us on the application or privately if they have financial hindrances to say getting from Michigan to here. You know, we want okay. we want to make this as inclusive as possible. Um, but yes, if you have experience in political organizing or talking to friends and family about the immigration crisis, or you want to learn and you're really eager to just yeah start and this might that, be your first yeah. your first time doing this that's okay too um we just ask folks to be honest about their skills and what they think they might be 
good at and what they think they might need some help with. Um, we are, of course, always looking for Spanish speakers um, in right. particular, but if you don't speak Spanish, that's not an automatic no. Um, we just want to be able to reach as many community members as possible. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm glad we got all of that uh, information out. Um, is there a direct email um, that you could give as well? Um, so yes, so you, you are. So the website has the application, okay. um, and that's it's pretty easy to find. I, I believe it's its own banner now <laughs> that says uh, "Campaign Volunteer Application." But if you want to talk to us about it or have questions, you can email either the campaign coordinator, which is drop the charges at nomoredeaths.org, okay. or myself, the media coordinator, media at nomoredeaths.org, and we're happy to answer questions. Okay. Uh, so I, I also wanted to talk about anything else um, that's happening right now in No More Deaths, other than this, you know, this big uh, trial that's Yeah, happening. so we are also, so for the month of August, and this is for this other kind of longer standing volunteer program, the Desert Aid work, um, we're focusing locally for the month of August, um, which is something we haven't had a chance to do um, as much as we would like. Something we hear quite often is, is for folks that are in, say, Tucson, um, you know, they don't have the ability to go away for a month into the desert, but they are here and they want to be able to plug in in some way. So we're trying to focus on day trips, um, you know, a situation where you can go out at seven in the morning, but be back in the evening, mm. um, kind of closer drop sites than perhaps the ones that, again, you need to stay in the desert to go attend to. Um, and in really emphasizing local outreach because these are our community members. These are people that we live with. Um, we want to make everybody feel like we're an accessible group um, to work with and to speak to. So we are really excited about having locals <laughs> uh, working yeah. with us in yeah. August. Um, besides the trial, that's a good question. <laughs> it does occupy a lot of I mind imagine. space, as you, you can yeah. imagine. Um, I mean, our work in the desert continues as it, as it always does um, because the need is there. So we're still out in the desert taking yeah. water where it needs to go. Um, we do have a very active legal clinic that is working very hard um, to keep folks from getting deported, keep families together. Um, they had a very successful summer run um, helping renew DACA applications, so I know they're quite proud of that, but they always need assistance as well. Um, really, all of our groups can always use more people, um, so if folks are interested, they are welcome to reach out to us okay. by email. Um, yeah, I think, I think that covers it. In my mind, I'm thinking, gosh, it's only November, and that might seem like a long time stretch for your listeners, but we've just come out of a federal trial, so to know that it, one is starting in just, just four months seems, right. seems so quick. <laughs> yeah. And there's a way to donate as well um, on the website, is that Yes, correct? there is, okay. yes. And that, you know, we're all <laughs> donation-powered, so yeah. absolutely, if, if folks are interested, they can give in that way. So... Um, you mentioned a little bit uh, about something that may be happening in Bisbee, and I wanted to talk to you about um, the presence of No More Deaths in Cochise County, uh, and uh, if, if there is not a strong presence, maybe how that could change. Mm -hmm. And then also, aside from that, what folks can do if they want to help, let's just say, to keep it pretty general, people from dying in the desert. Sure, um, so I guess to your first question, and I may have you repeat the second half sure. if I meander <laughs> off there. Um, we had a, a program for a while and something we'd like to do to do more of, um, and this was before we were running a, a, a actual application process and, and a, a program where people would come in from out of town. But so our campaign working group for the past year has been like, 
you know, eight or nine people <laughs> huddled over a table okay. each week trying to figure out how to best reach um, our neighbors. And so something that we did, um, and I was a part of this, was to outreach to churches and to synagogues, to mosques, to other houses of worship, and try to speak to congregants because we think this is an issue that uh, should certainly touch many people of faith. We hope it touches many people of faith. Um, yeah. No More Deaths is actually a ministry of the Unitarian Universalist Church, but mm. we have members from any and all faith traditions or none. Um, we, we think it's a pretty common rallying point that, that individuals um, are valuable and, and have a right to life, um, yeah. you know, in, in the desert, in the place we call home. So um, to answer your question about the county and, and that kind of thing, we were able to connect with a few synagogues and a few churches. I remember I went to Sierra Vista um, and, and traveled around and, and okay. spoke and, and did that kind of thing. But so looking at this new volunteer program, something we're hoping to do is to actually have like public facing events. Um, so for example, in Bisbee, we might hope to have an afternoon in the park <laughs> where people can come and share food with us and just talk with us. So that okay. would be a really easy way for someone to meet us and plug in if they were interested. Yeah. The second half of your question. Well, I just <laughs> wanted to also ask you, um, you mentioned that you, you traveled down the Sierra Vista. There is a Unitarian Universalist church in Sierra Vista, and is it connected in any way uh, with the organization? Not directly, um, but we are under that, that UU umbrella, the okay. Unitarian Universalist. Um, <clears throat> we're fortunate that we've received a lot of support from the national group as well. Um, so they hope, hopefully know who we are and are, are aware of what's going on. Um, but yeah, we were able to, to outreach with a few faith groups and they were so welcoming. It was so nice just to participate in a service and also get up there and talk about what we're doing. Yeah, <laughs> People yeah. were certainly, I, I Myself, um, Jew I'm Jewish, and I went to a synagogue in Sierra Vista, and uh, you know, I was just invited up instead of giving the Devar Torah to just talk about no more deaths. And so many folks were like, "Who is this person?" And, and this is not part of our service usually. Mm. But by the end of it, we're just having a conversation about yeah, aid yeah. and our experiences and what we've done here and what we want to see different, uh, see happen differently. Um, and it was wonderful. It was really like really lovely community building. So we're hoping to do more of that. Um, but you said, I think the question was... Well, just um, if folks want to get involved, mm -hmm. especially, I mean, Bisbee's uh, just a few miles from the border. Right. Um, well, I mean, what I said, just to keep things general, like if somebody wants to make sure that uh, people don't die mm -hmm. from dehydration um, in the desert, you know, can you give any suggestions? Because we've already talked about how if you leave jugs... Mm -hmm. They might get slashed. Yeah. I mean, what else can someone who wants to help do? It's a tough question because, you know, I mean, despite what happens to, you know, a percentage of the, the aid that we leave out, we're still leaving it, right? Because there's a chance that it might get to someone who really needs yeah. it. So if someone is, is giving that aid directly, of course, that's something they can do. Um, but, yeah, I think perhaps you might be able to know, tell me better because you live in Bisbee, but um, having been in a few border communities really, really close to the border, um, I think there's still a sense of removal to some degree. Like, you know that the border is a few miles there, mm -hmm. but you're still in mm -hmm. your town and your home and yeah. and you don't see, I guess, the movement around you and, and, and the disappearance and the deaths. So 
what I would encourage people to do, and, and hopefully this doesn't come across as morbid, but um, the Pima County Medical Examiner's Office and No More Deaths um, have worked together. We produced maps and images um, to kind of let people know where bodies have been recovered. And I think it's incredibly powerful for residents to look at their own town and see that someone may have lost their life just you know, a hundred yards from a from yeah. a well-known location. So, for residents of Bisbee, it could be really powerful to do that and to kind of situate yourself in the border crisis by understanding that it is absolutely all around us, right? right? Um, and from there, whatever that moves you to do, whether that's to try and provide aid directly, maybe get involved with an org like ours or speak to your friends and family, your church, your congregation about what you understand to be a problem. Yeah. <laughs> um, that can make a huge difference. So that's what I would suggest. Well, I give a lot of credit to Bisbee. Bisbee is the kind of town, uh, very socially minded. And, and mm -hmm. I mean, you'll see Mexican and, and uh, the American flag sure. waving right next to each other. And the, the type of town where you see humanitarian aid is not a crime, oh, signs. Oh yes, our signs. Um, <laughs> all over, which I don't know, maybe you'll have to change it to humanitarian aid should not be a crime because it sounds like, it, you know, we'll see what happens this year. Right. Um, so, but you're right. Bisbee's not, um, not every border town's like Bisbee. Sure. Um, and I wanted to mention something else. Do you have any statistics that you can share to kind of, um, if my listeners want to kind of really wrap their heads around some of the numbers that we see of deaths, sure. do you have any statistics you could share? Uh, so off the top of my head, I don't want to um, get them wrong. Right. <laughs> um, but on our website, as part of under our abuse documentation tab, that's where all of our reports live. That's where the report lives, for example, that has the video of aid being interfered with. Yeah. And that is absolutely chock full of statistics <clears throat> and information about bodies recovered in the borderlands, about um, you know gallons that have been interfered with. Um, I can say that no matter what number we come up with, we have to imagine that the number is always higher. Um, the nature of the desert, which I think this speaks to an earlier point you had made about people who don't live in the desert not understanding how hot it is and how extreme yeah. the environment is, um, bodies break down very, very quickly. Yeah. So there are so many individuals who have lost their lives and have disappeared into the desert that we will not, we will not know what happened to them and where, where they lost their life. So any estimate you're getting is always going to be on the low end. Mm. That's what we try to emphasize. It's also important to note that and that's why we encourage folks to read our reports in conjunction with other human rights orgs. Um, when Border Patrol releases their statistics of border crossers that have died, the statistics are only from individuals that Border Patrol agents themselves have come across. Mm. So if, for example, our folks are out in the field and they come across remains, and we alert Pima County um, and we alert Border Patrol, that set of remains will not count as a border patrol found remains set. So that doesn't make it into their yearly report. So that's a glaring omission right there. Yeah, very interesting. Um, so we would say that the most accurate statistics will, statistics will come from okay. the medical examiner's board and their office um, because okay. they work very hard to try and identify folks that are missing and have been found without much identification on them. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we would just encourage people to check out, again, 
our website, check out the reports. They're dense, they're information heavy, but I think that they're really, really important. Um, they talk about you know systemic issues within our enforcement agencies when it comes to immigration. Um, I would encourage people to apply for our volunteer program if they're interested. People are always, of course, welcome to donate, but also just spread the word. Um, you know, take time in your life to think about border issues and where you stand and, and how you might be able to make a difference because everybody can. So yeah. I think that that would be my closing statement. <laughs> well, that's great. Yeah. Um, I appreciate your time. Thanks. And uh, I guess we'll end this here. Thank yeah. you so much. Thanks. I will post some, some links on bisbeelive.com. Uh, make sure to to check on the, the websites, nomoredeaths.org, periodically to uh, keep updated on the events that will be happening in the upcoming months, uh, pre-trial and during the trial, uh, and how you can help or be involved in, uh, in any way. Uh, once again, if you'd like to discuss anything about this, you can reach me at bisbeelive.com or for whatever reason. I love to hear from the community and the whole world. Uh, we do have listeners all over the world, so I want to say thank you. Now that I'm over at Podbean, the podcast hosting website that I'm using now that has great analytics. Uh, so some exciting things ahead for uh, Bisbee Live. And so I once again appreciate everyone listening. Reach out and tell me what uh, you want to hear on this podcast. Uh, this has been Mike Butler uh, reaching you from... Uh, the Mule Mountains outside of Bisbee, Arizona. We will be talking again soon.